0: Hello and welcome to the Big Happy Life Podcast. I'm Natalie Britt and this week I'm talking about morning routines. It's fairly safe to say that in the world of self-development, probably rule number one is have some kind of intentional, rejuvenating, restoring practice that allows you to set your day up with intention. And if you've started your own self-development practices, then the likelihood is you already have some form of morning routine. In this episode, I'm gonna share with you a little bit about why morning routines are so powerful. I'll go back into some of the things I've spoken about on earlier podcasts about the science behind habits and how they form. And I'll also talk a little bit about mindset and the role that that plays in how you live the rest of the day outside of the morning routine and how what you do in the morning routine can have an impact on later parts of the day. Because it changes the stories you tell yourself and it changes the stories about who you are. And finally, if you're new to morning routines or you just believe yourself to not be a morning person, the last part of the podcast will share with you some ideas to get you started so that you can also enjoy all the amazing benefits that come with a routine that's rejuvenating, intentional, and makes you feel like you can tackle absolutely anything. So let's dive in. I first encountered the power of the morning routine in a book called Miracle Mornings by Hal Elrod. The title originally put me off, but it's turned out to be literal because the changes in my life have felt miraculous. When I look back at the journal entries from five years ago, the things I was grappling with and the habits that I didn't think I could break, the person I wanted to be but didn't think I could become, and I see how much of what I was wanting to do has become reality and how much that I still want to do seems to be within grasp as opposed to just something that at that time I would almost judge myself for and I would look at going this is a failing, this is something I need to correct, this is a problem. My whole mindset has shifted so that even when I encounter things that I know I need to improve, even when I encounter things where Oh, I just let myself down. I still know that the path is leading in the direction of achieving those things, of those things becoming a reality in a year or two years or five years that I can look back at journal entries from today and go, yeah, I was grappling with that, but here I am. And so that's really one of the great powers and why the morning routine is so powerful is that ultimately it builds on itself. So let's talk about how and why the morning routine can create this kind of miraculous change if it's something you practice repeatedly. To understand the answer to this question, I think we need to understand what self-esteem is. For most of us, we experience self-esteem when what we're doing now aligns with the version of ourselves we want to be, the version of ourselves we are when we're at our best, when we're acting with intention. So anything you do today that feels to you like it's on the path to that version of yourself generally builds your self-esteem. And anything you do that goes against that generally erodes self-esteem. Now, if you're in murkier water where you don't really know what it is you want, maybe you've been living by someone else's rules or you're trying to please other people and so you're so constantly outside your head looking in at yourself, trying to figure out what everyone else wants from you, then that can be really difficult anyway. But then the morning routine is part of what helps you figure that out, part of what helps you go inside your own head and find what it is you want, what it is that's important to you, how you see the world. What are you satisfied with? What are you not satisfied with? What makes you feel good? What doesn't? And so depending on the practices that you engage in in the mornings, Those are the kinds of questions you begin to ask yourself and you begin to answer. And then eventually you arrive at what I've just described with that sense of self-esteem that is coming from within you and is aligned with who you see yourself as being. And there are many practices within the morning routine that can help you do that work, and I'll talk about those a little bit later on. But really, regardless of where you are in your understanding of yourself and the you you wanna be, The act of getting out of bed in the mornings and doing things that are specifically related to your intentions for how you want to live are ultimately self-esteem building. Another reason that morning routines are so powerful is because a morning routine is what we would call a keystone habit. It's a habit that you can take up that will become the cornerstone, the starting point for other later positive habits that will build on top of it. As you know, if you've listened to this podcast before, particularly the goals and habits series, you'll know that habits are iterative. Whether they are good or bad, they build on each other over a period of time. So a morning routine, particularly when you have a strong one that you really buy into, becomes a daily anchor point. A point from which you establish a keystone that allows you to move in the direction of all those things that you practice that build that self-esteem. That's not to say that it's a guarantee that every day you practice a morning routine you're suddenly going to be the best version of yourself. I've definitely had days where I've had amazing morning routines, I've spent the hour meditating and I've done some exercise, I've written in my journal and done affirmations and then my son refuses to brush his teeth or throws his cornflakes on the floor or something and I'm shouty mom. Although the funny thing is I say that but even when I would call myself shouty mum, I'm not shouty mum anymore. I'm harsh tone mum, <laughs> but I'm not shouty mum. And of course, it's, it's not about just what happens in the morning routine. The point is when you have a keystone habit that you revisit every 24 hours, you always come back to something that is strengthening, that is aligning, and that focuses you on what it is that's important to you and where it is you're trying to go. That is assuming that your practices include that kind of intention setting. If your morning routine involves simply, you know, get up and do some exercise, yes, that will help you with mental well-being, it will help you with fitness and overall health, but it may not do the kind of mindset work that it needs to do, in which case some of the practices that I talk about later may be really good to add in when you are doing what you already do as part of your morning routine. So building on our understanding of why morning routines are so powerful, we take this idea of keystone habits and we couple it with self-esteem. When you think about a keystone habit, something that is going to set the direction of the other incremental changes that you see, when that keystone habit is a positive, affirming, intentional one, then you start to build in a positive direction. And as we said, with morning routines that are deliberately designed to help you set an intention and move towards the you you want to be with intention, that builds your self-esteem. But what then happens is when you make choices throughout the rest of the day, the you who has high levels of self-esteem makes choices in relation to that level of self-esteem and your stories about yourself begin to change. So things that happen in the day begin to take on different meanings to you. And so ultimately, your mindset begins to shift. And if you've done any personal development work, you know that mindset is king of everything. So just to give you a quick example, last week, I went to Sainsbury's. I had to get a few groceries and also a couple of things for my kids for school. And on the way, I was listening to an audiobook. So when I parked, I stopped quickly to make a couple of notes before I got out of the car. And just as I got out, a man was walking back from the shop towards his car and he went, don't forget your mask. And I went, oh God, thanks. I was about to, because I'd left it between the two front seats. I actually genuinely registered it as him having noticed that I didn't have a mask and reminding me to take it. But what he was really saying was he had just walked to the entrance of the shop, realized he didn't have his mask and had to come back to his car. But anyway, it reminded me I didn't have my mask because I'd been distracted by taking the notes from the audiobook. So, got my mask and went into Sainsbury's, up the travelator to the clothes section and found the school uniforms and started trying to look for all the stuff I needed. And I could find everything except what I actually needed. And then, eventually, I found girls' shirts and I found every single size except the one I needed, which was age 11. And then I thought, well, I'll just look again. So I went through the whole lot again and I found one unmarked packet. And it looked relatively big, but I wasn't exactly sure what size. And on the back, it had 11-52 written in pencil. But I was thinking, well, what's the dash 52? I have no idea. So I went to the till and asked the woman, is this age 11? So she had to undo the packaging and pull it all apart and try and find a label to see if it was age 11. And it turned out it was, and I was like, yes, what are the odds that the only unmarked packet is the one that I need, fantastic. So I go to pay and I normally keep my bank card with my phone, it's in the little kind of card section in the flap of the phone case, but my card wasn't there. And I was like, oh no, I must have left it at home. But I thought, well, I'll just root around in the shopping bags where I had previously just chucked my phone, thinking, you know, maybe on the odd chance it's fallen out of the case and into the shopping bag. So I root around, and in there I find my purse, because I'm quite willing to leave with my purse as well, and I'd often leave it in the shopping bags, and there it was. So I had forgotten my card, but my purse was there, so I was able to pay for the shirts, and I got the sense of like, wow! What are the odds of so many things working in my favor? That was amazing. And I got home and I told my husband and he kind of looked at me like, what? So you almost forgot your mask in the car. You found the only pack of shirts that had no label on it and therefore couldn't just buy them, but had to go to the till. You then didn't have means of payment and then found your purse at the bottom of some shopping bags. And that is a good thing, yes? And in that moment, it hit me that, that 20 minutes was the perfect metaphor for pretty much everything that happens in day-to-day life. That for someone else with different stories in their minds, that exact same encounter would have been evidence of a really bad day. That just everything's going wrong. It's nothing simple, nothing straightforward, everything's complicated, everything's more hassle than it needs to be, and so the story continues and it perpetuates. And then when you go on to do the next thing, it becomes an extension of that story. And that's the thing with morning routines is when you are really intentional about the stories that you allow your mind to start absorbing and paying attention to, it starts to shape the way you see everyday things because it's changing how you see yourself, it's changing the stories you're telling, it's changing where you place your focus, what you give your attention to, what floats to the surface. And when those things become positive, they just become really easy to deal with. Like my situation in Sainsbury's was one I left from bouncing because I felt like something really good had happened. And not only was it just a trip to Sainsbury's, it was a trip that somebody else might've taken to be a really bad one. And if you're wondering, you know, can you put all of that down to a morning routine? No, but you can put it down to a keystone habit that has had incremental effects on all other habits and has therefore made a difference to everyday life. And that's what anyone who has a powerful, intentional morning routine will tell you. And anyone who does comes to rely on that morning routine. So what does it take to get to that point? What does it take to get to the point where the morning routine becomes something that feels this powerful, that feels like something that you kinda can't do without? Well, the rules of keystone habits are that you start with something that you can commit to and something that you feel really rewarded by doing. So we'll go into that in a little more detail in a few minutes, but before we do, I wanna go through some of the key practices that are ideal to include in a morning routine. And then when we get to the part where we talk about how to do it, if it's not something you're comfortable doing yet, then the idea would be that you know what possible practices you would engage in, and you can maybe pick one or two of them that would help you get started. So let's start with the basics probably the easiest place to start is to just start doing things and seeing how they work for you. My starting point came, as I mentioned, from Miracle Mornings by Hal Elrod, and in that book, he talks about the savers. The savers are six morning practices. So it's S for silence, A for affirmations, V for visualization, E for exercise, R for reading, and S for scribing, because W didn't work for writing. In the beginning, I did all of those. And in Miracle Mornings, he claims that you can do them all within an hour. But I found to do them to the level that I wanted to do them, I needed around two hours. So over time, I've sort of honed my practices. And if you've listened to earlier podcasts, then you know that I tend to value silence, movement, which would fall under exercise here, and reading or writing. And whichever one I miss in the morning will generally get done at some other point in the day with regards to reading and writing. Affirmations and visualization were the two that for me fell away fastest, but that recently I have returned to. And that's because of something that I noticed as a flaw in the morning routine, which is, it's an awful lot of doing. And for me, it came to feel really pushy. You know, you set your alarm, you wake up in the morning, you have to go and meditate, then you have to go and exercise, then you have to go and write something or read something, learn something. Say your affirmations, visualize the future that you want all the while with half your mind going, I just want to go back to bed. Can I go back to bed, please? Or at least that was my experience to begin with. But what I've discovered as time has gone on is that there is a mix of doing and letting happen and that that mix is present throughout everything in our lives. It's another reason why I think the morning routine is such an important keystone habit for getting us started and creating those incremental changes that ultimately lead to the big changes we're all looking for. The balance between doing and letting happen kind of feels more spiritual, more energetic. And I think it requires an episode of its own for us to really think about that. But what I do wanna draw your attention to when we talk about morning routine is if it's feeling like some kind of push towards something, if it's feeling like some kind of punishment, some kind of atonement, some kind of worthiness test, then the likelihood is that you are too far on the doing side and a little bit less on the side of just letting things unfold in a way that feels the best for you. I discovered that about two or three years into my morning routine practices. And so I introduced something quite recently, which I call the 60-minute retreat. I recorded an episode about it a while back. I'll put a link to that in the show notes, which you can find at bighappylife.co.uk. But basically, the gist of it is that rather than just waking up and doing a series of practices, you first focus on the feeling you would like to cultivate, either just within your morning routine or perhaps throughout the day. And then you build the practices around cultivating that feeling. So as an example, one of the things that I really wanted to cultivate in my own life was a sense of calm, patience. If you were to ask anyone who knew me as a child, the words hot-tempered, fiery, huffy, impatient, would probably be words you would hear. And in the early parts of my self-development journey, those were things that I was trying to fix about myself. But what I've realized along the way is that we don't need to fix ourselves. There's nothing in us or about us that requires fixing. All we need to do is to think about the kind of lives we want to create for ourselves, and then cultivate The daily habits that will build those lives. And for me, I wanted the kind of relationship with my kids that didn't involve shouting or harsh tones or any of the things that are unnecessary in their learning when they make mistakes and they do feel emotional. And what they need is support and guidance, not judgment and impatience. But so often, those were the things they got from me. And so, what I looked at with the 60-minute retreat, was to learn to practice those states or feelings. In my training as an NLP practitioner, one of the things we learned was there are no unproductive people, only unproductive states. And our states are largely determined by our feelings. So learning to cultivate the feelings that you want helps you cultivate the states you want, which helps you become productive in the way you want. So my goal was to bring those specific states and feelings into my life deliberately so that I would learn what they feel like and I would learn what brought them out in me so that I could cultivate them in other parts of life. And now if you were to ask the people who know me best, the words I think you would hear are calmer, more open, more understanding, more forgiving. Notice I don't say, understanding, patient, and forgiving, because the truth is these are still traits that are unfolding. And I mean, they may still be unfolding when I'm 90. But like I said, that's what self esteem is about. When we know we're moving in the direction of the things that matter to us, we feel good. And so even though things aren't perfect, and I'm not perfect, I don't expect that of myself. This is one of the key fundamental pieces that so often comes out when I do coaching with one-to-one clients, is that sense of Desire for perfection, like I had to get to the point where it's done. That's not what this practice is about. Nor is getting to the point where something is done when we're relating to ourselves really a, a measure that's ever going to lead to something that's going to help. It's only ever about the unfolding, it's never about the arrival at some kind of destination. It's not like buying a house when we're talking about ourselves and our habits and our ways of being. So, yes, so the savers as acts that you can do become really powerful if you can align them with a particular feeling that you would like to cultivate or align them with an intention that you have for the day what is it that you want to bring to that day how do you want to show up in your relationships in your work for yourself and then you align the practices that you choose to do in the morning routine so that they help you kind of place your attention, place your focus on those things. That for me was a game changer in terms of creating the things I do in the morning as opposed to just getting up and throwing on exercise clothes and getting started. One resource that has really helped me with that intention setting is the High Performance Planner. It's a journal that has a series of prompts in it and it was created by Brendan Burchard who wrote High Performance Habits, which was a book I read a few years back that I really loved. And that year, I asked for the journal for Christmas, but I've only just started using it about a week ago, and I found it to be really, really good at focusing my attention on the things that matter and allowing me to A, recognize some of the things that are just happening for me, and B, help align the things I'm doing to help those things happen. So it's an A4 book, and it's a double page spread for each day. And you get journal prompts in the morning, journal prompts in the evening, and then there's a section in the middle with half an hour time slots where you can put in different things that you're gonna be doing in the day. Interestingly for me, that's the part I use the least. So it's the morning and the evening prompts that help me think about the day that I'm finding most valuable. I have found in the past that structuring my day to half an hour time slots has made me a bit more intense and a bit more stressed. But actually with this book, what I've ended up doing is by using the morning prompts, I then in those half an hour time slots, only fill in the things that really matter, that I really want to make time for, that I definitely want to include in my day, and that if I have to make choices between them and other things, those are the things I want to do. And so it's really helped me to maintain focus on the things that are important. I don't know if you remember the episode with Nikki Abraham, who spoke about her favorite book, which was The One Thing. Well, this kind of helps with that. It's like, well, what is your one thing for today? Or what is your one thing for this morning and your one thing for this afternoon? And what are you going to do to make those things happen? So it's like a great combination of that intention setting and those action steps. The resource I was using before that is called The Five Minute Journal. That was recommended by Natasha Bray, who was also a guest on the podcast a few weeks back. This one's a lot quicker to fill in. It takes less than five minutes actually in the morning and then again in the evening and it's really just asking you questions about things that you're grateful for, things that would make today really great for you and then it provides space for an affirmation. And then in the evening you look at three amazing things that happened today and also one thing you could have done that would have made today even better. And that's it. So hopefully again you see the theme of aligning your intentions with your actions and then providing an opportunity to reflect on the things you've done in the day and the stories you tell yourself about them. What was most interesting to me about both of these structured journals, which I kind of missed when I first started doing morning routines and just did them with a blank journal, is that they both have an evening component. And that's something really, really important when it comes to the practices that give your morning routine its power, is That the morning routine works best if it is accompanied by an evening routine. Maybe a bit shorter, but something that allows you to reflect on how you did the day and how well your intentions matched your actions. And then what you would do differently tomorrow. So it almost brings that whole incremental positive habit change into consciousness and allows you to drive it with a little bit more intention. And I think doing those kinds of things can really increase the power and the speed with which these things work. So even if you're going to use a blank journal for writing as part of your morning routine, the key thing here is to give yourself an opportunity to reflect on the day and therefore include a little bit of journal practice in the evening as well. It's not essential, but it does increase the speed and power with which you begin to see results in your life. That said, it's important to give it time. A, to embed as a habit. Now, again, if you remember from earlier episodes about habit, there's a very popular myth that habits take 21 days to embed. That is not true. The study that that number was based upon was in relation to things where people had no choice in the matter. And involve things like getting used to the layout of new homes and things like that. So, those would be things that people would interact with daily, repeatedly, and without any choice in the matter. Whereas, with the starting of a positive habit like a morning routine, there is always the choice to just roll over and go back to sleep. And unless you have reached the point that feels very unfortunate, but often can be really fortunate, and is usually something, some kind of catalyst that forces you to make a change then that sense of urgency isn't there either. I often see this in my clients, and I saw it in myself as well, that kind of when those gremlins are chasing you, when you feel like you're so on the edge, you cannot cope anymore, it's like, ah, that can get you out of bed. But then things start to improve and you reach an even keel again. And Then you think, ah, this is okay. And then it becomes really easy to just switch the snooze button and go back to sleep. Habits that come in those types of packages can take up to a year to really, truly embed. So if you do decide that you want to take up a morning routine or you've tried in the past and you've lasted a few days and then gone back to snoozing, be kind to yourself, be patient and know that this is a long haul habit. It's one that can and will probably misfire multiple times before it becomes something that you rely on so heavily that you don't want to miss it. It feels better to you to get up, or you reach the point where I am, where I don't set an alarm anymore. And more often than not, I'm up long before anyone else in our house. And it doesn't feel like something I'm doing to myself anymore. It feels like something I'm allowed to have for myself. It feels like a little gift every single day. And so no matter what awaits me during the day, it's like I always know I have that hour or hour and a half that belongs to me for my stuff. So how do you get started if you want that? My first recommendation is to start the night before. Like I said earlier, the morning routine works better when it's bookended with a morning and evening routine. And getting out of bed early in the morning is so reliant on how well you've slept and how good you feel, which is reliant on an evening routine, something that allows you to get into bed relaxed, ready to sleep, and have a really good night's sleep. Now there's so much more to sleep and the story of sleep and for that, we need some sleep experts on the podcast. So look out for that. But just for the basics, and these are things we all know, switch off your phone, come away from screens with blue light at least two hours before bed. And if you're thinking, oh God, no, can't do that, then invest in some blue light glasses. They don't completely solve the problem but they will at least make an improvement. Also, your brain is a pattern detection machine, so create patterns for sleep, sleep rituals almost. Maybe a specific tea you drink every night before you go to bed. Caffeine free, of course. Maybe you read before bed, ideally not in bed. So again, with your brain being a pattern detection machine, it works better if your bed is for sleep and reading is done somewhere else. Evening yoga is also really good. And there are loads of fantastic YouTube videos, sort of five or 10 minutes long for that. Pick something you really enjoy, something that relaxes you to such an extent that you feel great and you feel ready for sleep. This should feel like a treat, this is not a chore. And then assuming you have a good night's sleep, you wake up in the morning, and if you really can't be bothered to get out of bed, you could actually pick some practices that you could do without getting up. So for me, that's Wim Hof breathing. If I'm really thinking, oh, I just want to lie here for a few minutes longer, then the first thing I do in the morning is Wim Hof breathing. So that involves three rounds of breathing and breath holds in between and takes about 10 or 15 minutes. I normally find I'm quite rejuvenated after that and I am ready to get out of bed. Possibly not super practical if you're lying next to somebody who's still asleep, but if they sleep deeply, you should get away with it. The other thing you could do, and another thing I do from bed, is meditation. So normally what I would do is just sit up in my bed, cross-legged, close my eyes, and meditate for 20 minutes. If you fall back to sleep during either one of those practices, what that tells you is that you need more sleep. For that, you turn your attention to the evening routine, not the morning routine. If you need more sleep, the best place to get it is at the beginning of your sleep cycle, not at the end. Because earlier parts of the sleep cycle are far more powerful than the later parts. That's one of the reasons why going back to bed and sleeping for an extra hour doesn't feel as good as going to bed an hour earlier. And again, remember, this is a long haul habit. If you do fall asleep, who cares? Do it again tomorrow and do it differently so that you have better sleep, you can get up and you can try again. Something I would caution against though, it's something I have done, it's something that many of my clients have told me they do as well. It's something that I think is really quite widespread. And it's what I call the how bad do I feel game. So you know that moment where you wake up and you kind of do a body scan and you go, oh, I'm so tired. Do I feel worse than yesterday? I think I might feel worse than yesterday. Is that a sore throat? Oh, I've got a headache. Oh God, I can't do this today. Can't I just go back to bed? That voice doesn't help at all. And so many of us start our day with some kind of scan, with some kind of rhetoric that goes a bit like that. To combat that, as part of your evening routine, you can set an intention for your morning routine so that when you wake up, that's the thing that you think about first. Doing that occupies your brain so it doesn't do the how bad do I feel game. Once the morning routine is established, the how bad do I feel game tends to happen less, and you tend to be more focused on what you're about to gain. But it does take time for that to build. So, like I said before, do be patient with yourself, but make it something that you are committed to. So, Mel Robbins has the five second rule. And the basic gist is five, four, three, two, one, do whatever it is that you've promised yourself you were gonna do. Count backwards, go. No excuses, no stopping, just do it. It is more of a push technique, and at some point you are going to reach the point of letting it happen, but you can start with a push technique. If it starts to feel too stressful though, then I'd recommend changing it up for something that feels rewarding. Everything we know about habits says that when it feels rewarding, we are likely to repeat it. When it feels punishing, we aren't. So one of the ways that you can do that is to really link the morning routine with your reason for getting up. What is this gonna do for you? What is it gonna change in your life? Why is it important to you? For most people I've spoken to, it's tended to be some kind of money-related answer that gets them started. They're starting a business or they're doing something that will lead to a change in career or some kind of better prospects, but generally it's money that gets us started, which is really interesting because for most people, Once the morning routine is established, it's not a link to money that keeps it going. It's a link to how we feel. But what I will tell you is that my earning potential has increased dramatically as a result of the morning routine. I'm a much better trainer, I'm a much better coach, and I'm a much better speaker as a result of the things I have done and invested my time in over the last five years in doing my morning routines every single day. And that has changed the demand for my services and also has changed the prices that I can charge. But more importantly, I feel like a better person and I know I'm a better parent. And I hope I'm a better wife. So whatever your motivation, be clear about it. And if you don't have clarity about what your motivation is, that will probably be having an effect on your self-esteem in a wider capacity. So outside of the morning routine, that lack of clarity about what it is you want, how you want to show up, Could have a much stronger impact in other areas of your life and if that's something you want to work on but you don't think you're going to be strong enough to do it yourself in the morning routine then do reach out either to myself or another coach or somebody that you would like to work with who can help you get that clarity help you find that crystal clear motivation and get you started but let's say you do want to do it on your own for a while first and you do want to just kind of hop out of bed and get going some of the practices that can be really useful to get you going a bit more quickly First of all, drink a pint of water. Very often fatigue or that headache that you feel or that listlessness is actually dehydration. So the first thing to do is drink water. Secondly, do some of the things that your body associates with waking up, your normal morning stuff. So that might be brushing your teeth, combing your hair, having a coffee, doing something that you normally associate with being awake. Any of those kinds of things just Follow the brain's pattern detection system that says, Oh, okay, we're doing this now. Great, let's go. Start with some of the practices that you find easiest or most enjoyable, and then build up to the others. And if you really, really believe yourself to just not be a morning person at all, then set yourself the smallest, most laughable goal for your morning routine to get you started. Even if that's, you know, one minute to do push ups or something, and then you're allowed to go back to bed then just do that. Or 10 seconds to write a one word intention for the day, and then you're allowed to go back to bed. Then just do that. But do those things every day. And in the beginning, don't allow yourself to do any more. Don't try and trick yourself, because then your brain knows the trick, and then it resists the trick. So the thing to do here is to say, I'm committing to one minute or I'm allowing myself one minute, and that's all I'm doing. When you finish the minute, go back to bed. And what you'll likely find is quite quickly that will become unsatisfying, and you'll need to make it two minutes or three minutes. And so it builds up by itself. Yes, it's slow, but the object of a habit like this one is that you want it to stick permanently. And so we're not interested in gunning straight for the finish line of the ultimate morning routine if you're at the point where getting out of bed seems like the worst thing you have to do in the day. You choose the start point, the object of the exercise is to make it something that is so small that you can stick with it. And if you're somebody who can't get back to sleep once you've woken up then maybe you look at making it the smallest amount of time you're willing to commit to to set the alarm that bit earlier. Whether that's 10 minutes, 5 minutes, 2 minutes, 1, it doesn't matter. The object is, you do it, but you do it with 100% commitment and you do it every single day. And then gradually that builds up. If your experience is like any of the people I've worked with in my coaching or training practice, then your progress will build up quite quickly and you'll come to really enjoy the routine and see it as something that you would prefer to keep because it feels really good and in fact not doing your morning routine, leads to days that don't feel as good and leads to days where you don't feel as good. And once you reach that point, the habit becomes something that takes care of itself. If this is your first outing into the idea of morning routines, I would recommend you start by reading Hal Elrod's Miracle Mornings. It's a great way to get you started and it's full of inspiring ideas. And then the ideas in this podcast can help you shape what you learn in that book to create something that feels right for you and makes good use of the science of habits so that you create something that sticks, not something you do for a short period of time and then lapse back to old behaviors. If you have any questions or you'd like further support, do reach out at bighappylife.co.uk. You can also reach me directly by email, natalie at bighappylife.co.uk, and you can visit and like the Facebook page, which you'll find at Big Happy Life page. As always, I would absolutely love to hear from you with your comments and questions, so please do get in touch. If you've enjoyed this episode, it would be a great help and a lovely boost if you would leave a review and also subscribe in whatever podcast app you are using. Next week, I have a great treat of an episode. I'm going to be talking to Hannah Richards, who is the owner of The Gut Clinic. And so I'll be continuing that question of how good is it possible to feel and continuing the theme from last week's episode, where I spoke to Sharon and Loretta Gavin from The Detox Barn. Hannah has some amazing tips and advice to share about the body and the gut And also why no list of 10 foods that's going to make you well is actually going to make you well. Be ready to have your mind blown. For now though, thanks for listening.